Jesus didn't come down just to check on his creation, just to see what was happening. Jesus came on a mission to seek and save those who are lost. And he says, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That's the mission. And he wants them to make sure that they understand that that is why he is here. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. This morning, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And we will not be in Peter for the next couple of of weeks. Actually, probably won't be back in Peter until after the first of the year. Uh, Next week, we'll uh, start our Christmas series. And let me just encourage you, if you don't have one of the notebooks, to take notes for today or uh, the next few weeks. Pick one up on your way out. Or if you need one delivered or mailed to you, let us know. We will get those to you as well. But John chapter 6, and we'll be looking down in verse 35 in just a few minutes. And it occurred to me uh, at a very, occurred to me Friday night, one of the bad things, I guess bad things about being a pastor is once you write a sermon or when you start writing a sermon, I don't know too many pastors that throughout the week don't continually think on their sermons and think, all right, I need to put this here and put that there. And it, uh, eventually you just, you got to stop. I mean, I kind of rearrange and organize and move things around in my sermon up until the very last minute. But Friday night late, I was sitting there and I was thinking about the sermon on Sunday about Peter and suffering and about the Lord's Supper. And then it occurred to me, I was like, wait a minute, have we had the Lord's Supper at all this year? And I I thought, surely we had. So I went looking at the calendar and no, we haven't. The first one we would have had would have been in March. And we weren't here, uh, as you know, for March. And then I started to look through my sermon calendar and I thought, man... That means I haven't preached on the Lord's Supper. One of the things I try to do every year, and if you've been here for 12 years, you know this, every year, at least once a year, I am going to preach on the Lord's Supper. Usually it's a good idea not to remember that Friday late in the evening uh, that you want to change your sermon. You know, it's not the best time to do that. But it, it, to me, it's so important, worshiping at the Lord's table because of what we are told about it, how it looks back at the sacrifice Jesus made for us, and at the same time is a method of proclaiming the gospel. It's so important that, that I, just, I have to preach on it once a year, and so we are going to preach on it and look at it this morning. And in doing that, we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first of Jesus' seven I am statements. Now, his I am statements, just to remind you, serve two purposes. One, it is so that everyone who heard him speak would know that he is God. Many times, I think I've said, and you've probably heard that when Jesus says that, that he is claiming equality with God, which is true, but really it's more than that. He is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be God in the flesh. So his audience, his Jewish audience, would have known very well that when he said, Ego ami, I am, they would have just immediately flashed back 
to the Old Testament with Moses at the burning bush going, who do I say sends me? And, and the burning bush, God's voice out of the bush says, tell them I am sent you. So, it, I mean, they are immediately understanding what Jesus is saying. At the same time, each statement provides us really with more information about the heart of Christ and about the extent of his ministry. Right? Where he says, I am the good shepherd, we are told that he is... He cares about his people, and he is going to lead his people. In John chapter 6, verse 35, it says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus saying he is the bread of life. Very simple and, and yet profound statement. And one of the things I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at that statement in the context which it is given. Because the larger context of Jesus making that statement makes what he says when he says, I am the bread of life, that much more impactful. All right, so let's just look at where we are. Chapter 6 begins, and if you have a Bible that has the headings, probably says something about Jesus feeds the 5,000. The headings are good. Remember, they're not inspired. They're not in the original text. God didn't put it there. Some editor at some point put it there, just so you'll kind of know what is happening. Jesus is feeding the 5,000. He goes up on top of a mountain to find a spot where he can stand and, and, and preach to everyone, either with people below him or in an amphitheater so that people can hear. And as he does this, one of the things that we are told in John's gospel, and we should note, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle in all four gospels. It's the only one that each of the, that Matthew, Mark, and John record. However, when John records it, he adds one statement that is not in the other accounts. Look at what it says in John chapter 6, verse 4. It says, now... The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus is about to feed the 5,000. They don't know that yet, but Jesus is going to feed them. And the context or, or what's going on in their minds is, hey, and tell me if you've thought about this before, there's a big feast coming that we've got to go prepare for. Right? Does that sound familiar in the context of the past week? There's a big meal coming. We've got to go prepare for it. So for the Jews who have gone up on the mountain to listen to him, they know that the Passover is coming. And with the Passover, they've got to prepare. They've got to get their homes ready. They've got to get the leaven out. They've got to get the animal slaughtered. They've got to get everything that they need. So this is the context that Jesus is, is preaching to them. And the reason that it's so important that he tells us that the Passover is this was an incredibly important feast of the Jews. Probably the second most behind the Day of Atonement. Because what is the feast of the Passover? The feast of the Passover was given to them and given to the Jewish people as a reminder of what? Their deliverance out of bondage from Egypt. They were enslaved. And Jesus comes and he delivers them. And they were told, look, when you are delivered from now on, you need to do this every year. Sound familiar to where we're going? You need to do this every year to remember that I delivered you out of bondage. 
I delivered you out of slavery. And with that command, they had to do some certain items. They had to get rid of the leaven, like I said. They had to get a lamb to slaughter, but they also had to make bread. They had to make unleavened bread. Think something between a cracker cracker and a tortilla, okay? That would be unleavened bread. It wasn't a big fluffy yeast roll, okay? They, They didn't have those. So Jesus is up there preaching. They're thinking about the Passover. It gets dark. Thinking about the Passover, stores are going to be closed. How are we going to feed them? And you know the story, right? There's the little kid up there that's got two fish and and five loaves, and Jesus blesses it and divides it among the people so that the disciples hand it out, and at the end, there's enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets of food. That's the setting. Verse 16, we're told that evening had come. The disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. So Jesus had already left, and the disciples are going to follow them, and they're really not going far. If you look at a map of the Dead Sea, or excuse me, not the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, what you would notice is there's kind of, not not really an inlet, but it kind of gets narrow at the top. And they're over here at Bethsaida, and they're going to Capernaum, and they just kind of cut off that little top corner to go around. So it's not a long journey, you know, it's, it's not very far. So they're heading over there to find Jesus. Jesus walks on the water, uh, comes out there with them, and they can continue on their journey. Then in verse 22, the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, so the crowd that had just been fed, the 5,000, the 5,000 people, the crowd that was over there with the fish and the bread and, and the 12 baskets full, it says, they found him, and, and, and they go over there with him. So they're, they're looking for him. They want to know where he went. Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the sea, and they came up to him, and they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answers a different question than what they asked. Look at what he says in verse 26. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You are full. You're hungry, now you're full. You've come to see me because you want to to be full again. And what Jesus is doing, beginning in verse 22, is he is going to lead the people to understand an incredible, significant spiritual truth. They don't know that just yet. They just want to see, really, another miracle. They just want their stomachs to be filled again. But Jesus knows that there's something else that they need, and he's going to lead them to this understanding. He says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said, all right, what do we got to do? Right? This is, Jesus gets asked this question many times. What must we do to do the works of God? What is it we, we need to do? Jesus, and each time that question is answered, have you ever know, if you go through and track through the Gospels where people ask Jesus that question, he always gives a different answer to the context of the people who are asking. So they're asking, and he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he hath sent. Verse 30. I I love this. Okay? You ever want to know if there are stiff-headed people in the Bible? Verse 30 gives you an answer. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? It's not been 24 hours. 
And Jesus took a Jewish Happy Meal and fed over 5,000 people. All right? It just says 5,000 men. There are women and kids. It, it could have been 10,000. It could have been 15. He fed a bunch of people from two fish and five loaves. And there was enough to gather up 12 basketfuls. And they look at him and say, hey, what are you going to do that we can believe? I, I think multiplying, you know, food is, uh, hey, I cook for a bunch of people. I'd like to be able to cook one piece of chicken, one potato, one green bean, and multiply it to feed eight people. That'd be a pretty cool trick. What sign, Jesus, are you going to do? What, what work are you going to perform? And they, they just don't get it. And they even go and they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Hey, Jesus, you know, even God, you know, provided and did this miracle. What are you going to do? Jesus speaks again. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here it is. He takes it back. They go back to Moses, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You got something wrong. It was not Moses who gave you the bread. Jesus says the bread came from God. God was the one who gave you the bread that sustained their lives through the desert. What is he telling them? Life-sustaining bread only comes from the Father. He also makes a very important, just, just a little detail that sometimes you, you overlook. Sometimes the details are important. He says, who comes down from heaven. Again, letting them know God gave them the bread and God delivered it down to heaven. You see where he's leading them, right? Because Jesus did what? Jesus came down from heaven. He's leading them to this point. He's leading them to a point where they want something that only Jesus can provide. To give them something that only he can fill. So they said, sir, give us this bread always. So he's got them. He has hooked them. God provides the bread. God sends the bread down from heaven so that you can have life and so that you will never go hungry again. And Jesus looks at them and he says, and here it is, I am the bread of life. I am the one who God has sent down from heaven. I am the one who God has sent down from heaven to give life to the world. I am the one who God has sent down from heaven to be the bread of life to sustain you for all of eternity. That's where Jesus is leading them. To understand that Jesus Christ, just as real bread sustains us physically, Jesus Christ sustains us spiritually. And if they never want to hunger again, then they have to come to him who is the bread of life sent down from heaven. Three things this morning that we learn from that statement. Number one, I am the bread of life reminds us of Jesus' humanity. It reminds us of Jesus' humanity. Part of John's gospel is to demonstrate the humanity of Jesus. Even when he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well. He talks about Jesus touching, 
about Jesus feeling, about the disciples touching, right? About the disciple who Jesus loved when Jesus, uh, John is writing about leaning up against him so that people will know that Jesus is human. I mean, this is one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith. It's one of the ones that we can discuss with words, and, and we understand the words, but at the same time, it's hard to wrap our minds completely around the truth. And that is, Jesus is God in the flesh. And when Jesus walked on this earth, he was 100% God, and he was 100% human. And if you're like me, well, Gary, you go, that's 200%. That's hard to have. And I'm like, yeah, I know it. And it goes into that. We've got to give 110% out on the field today. You, you, you can't. I don't know how he's 100% God and 100% man, and you don't get 200%. But he was completely human. And he says that. I came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. He says, you've seen me. You you see me with your eyes. You're not seeing a spirit or anything. You're seeing me in the flesh. And so John is telling them and telling us that God the Almighty, God the Eternal One, God the Holy One, stepped down into His creation and clothed Himself in human flesh with all the truths that that encompassed. Jesus was hungry. He would eat. Jesus would get tired. He would sleep. Jesus would get hot during the summer days working. Jesus would get cold on those evenings by the sea. Every emotion, everything that goes with being human, Jesus experienced. And he looks at them and says, I am the bread of life. I I am... God in the flesh. Right? This is how John begins his gospel. John 1.14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among them. Now, this is an interesting statement, as John states that, because, one, it is stunning, right? But two, it shouldn't be surprising. Have you thought about that? When John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among them, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life, talking about his humanity, we are surprised and we are stunned that Jesus stepped out of heaven and walked with his creation, right? How did the book of Genesis start before the fall? It was normal for God to walk with his people. It was normal for God to walk with Adam and Eve. And so while it is shocking for them to hear that, it's shocking for us to think about it, this is what God intended from the beginning. That he would walk and that he would be with his people. And so here Jesus is telling them, hey, look, I've come down again, but this time I've come down uh, and cloaked myself in humanity so that I can be with my people, I can be with my creation. And he had to do that because it points us to his mission. He could not fulfill his mission if he did not take on the veil of humanity. Because I am the bread of life also reminds us of Jesus' mission. 
right? It, it, it makes it very clear in verse 38 and verse 39 that he is on a mission. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's the mission. Jesus didn't come down just to check on his creation, just to see what was happening. Right? We've all worked in, in businesses or offices where the boss comes down just to kind of walk around, just to let you know that the boss is there, right? I'm just walking around, just checking, making sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, making sure everything looks good. Hey, everything's working. Good, fine. I'm, I'm going back up now. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came specifically on a mission to seek and save those who are lost. And he says, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That's the mission. And he wants them to make sure that they understand, that they understand that that is why he is here. That they are lost and that they need to be saved. That they need to be what? In the context of, remember, the context is the Passover. Jesus, or excuse me, God delivered them out of bondage of Egypt. And Jesus is saying, I've come now to deliver you once again, but not a physical deliverance, but a spiritual deliverance. I've come to deliver you from your sins. And the way that Jesus is going to do that is he is going to the cross to die on the cross for their sins. That's why he has to be human. Because there has to be a blood sacrifice for the atonement of their sins. It is something that God has taught in his word since Genesis 3.21. Where after Adam and Eve sinned, it said, God made garments of skin and clothed them. God has taught his people and God has taught us there is shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And when the Passover is near, they are going to go, and it's not a pleasant thought, there are going to be a lot of lambs slaughtered that evening on Passover to remind them that for them to be delivered, there was shedding of blood. And Jesus now tells them, says, hey, I'm the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover lamb. I am the ultimate fulfillment of what you have been doing your whole life as a reminder of the deliverance out of Egypt. But now I come to offer you a better deliverance. I come to bring you up out of the bondage of sin and slavery. And it's not just something that has got to happen year after year, right? Year after year, they go and they slaughter the Passover lamb. Year after year, they go and they make atonement. For this to be an eternal deliverance, there's got to be the shedding of a perfect sacrifice that has perfect blood. And the only one who meets that criteria is God himself. And God himself closed himself in humanity and came down and walked on the earth. And the only way for God to die is to take on human flesh. Right? That, that's why the, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 9.12, He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood or of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. 
All those lambs, all those goats that have been slaughtered all those many thousands of years up to this point had not secured eternal redemption for them. The only way that it would be secured was through Jesus' sacrifice. And the only way that would happen is if Jesus was human and he came on a mission. And his mission was to save them. At the same time, when we read, I am the bread of life, it reminds us of Jesus' invitation. For when you look at his words very carefully, you see that in his words, there is an invitation. He says, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me. Whoever comes to me. Then drop down to verse 53. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. And Jesus is looking, and he's giving them the invitation. That's the invitation. Come to me. Partake in my flesh, partake in my blood, partake in the sacrifice that I am making for you so that you can have salvation. He puts that invitation out for them. You know, it, it's, it's amazingly wonderful that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I, I mean, it, it, it's glorious. right? We, we are remind, reminded that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are also told by the lips of Jesus in more than one place that we have to come to a place of understanding where we are able to see beyond the fact that it is just an amazing act of love and beyond the fact of just seeing it from a mental viewpoint and standpoint to understand and to take the invitation that he is offering for us. Right? What? It's, you get invitations in the mail for all kinds of things. Maybe invitation to somebody's party, celebrate somebody's anniversary, a wedding. The invitation is nice, but you've got to do something with the invitation. It's, it's, you've got to decide that you're going to go and show up at the party, that you're going to go to the wedding. Jesus does the same thing. He puts the invitation out there and says, here it is. What are you going to do with it? Are you just going to go, hey, that's pretty neat and cool? Or are you going to come to a point where you recognize that Jesus died for you and confess that truth? Because that's what he's doing. That's what he tells us here. I've come that they will believe in me so that they may have eternal life. And so the invitation that Jesus has is best summed up when Paul wrote in Romans, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And that's the invitation. He's saying, I am giving you the invitation for eternal life so that when you die on this earth because you believe in me, I will raise you up again on that last day. And he sets the invitation before them and gives them a chance to respond. 
And really, that's the invitation that's before us today. Is to respond to Christ. Now, I know that those of you who are here with me this morning in the sanctuary, I know that you have already responded to that invitation. Someone watching this morning may not have responded to the invitation that Jesus has made for you to come to him to have eternal life. But that invitation stands. That invitation so that you will be raised up on the last day, so that you will dwell with him forever in heaven, is the invitation that he makes to you today. And for those of us who are believers, I think the invitation that he makes for us today is an invitation to reflect on what our salvation cost him. Because while it was free for us, it was not free to him. It cost him his body, it cost him his blood, so that he could redeem us this morning. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.